Welcome to Liftoff Journeys, where we ignite the stories of those daring to soar. Join us as we delve into the uncharted territories of success, sharing the triumphs and hardships of extraordinary individuals determined to reach new heights. Get ready to be inspired, challenged, and uplifted on Liftoff Journeys. Let's launch today's episode together with one of the most incredible people I know in the human resources space, Irene Hendricks. Irene, welcome to Liftoff Journeys. Thanks, Jeannie. Glad to be here. I'm so excited to have you on the show because I've known you for, gosh, almost about six years now, and I've been so impressed with the way that you hold yourself from a professional perspective in the workplace, but also with the ideals that you bring to your job every day from a business perspective and the way that you embrace culture. So tell us a little bit about what you do today. Sure. Thanks for asking. So I'm very excited, Jeannie, because I've just started an amazing new journey with a company called Aclara. Aclara is a leader in the revenue cycle management space, uh, which really is an end-to-end support solution for uh, the medical industry, both physicians as well as hospitals. Uh, it's an industry leader, and I'm super, super proud to be part of an amazing leadership team um, and really excited for what Uh, my team and I can do for the company. And you're a chief people officer, which is sometimes known as the chief human resources officer. What was it like moving up the ranks from a human resources perspective to move into a C-suite role, being responsible for the livelihood of every employee at companies where you work? Um, So... I think first and foremost, I have been fortunate to work for and alongside great leaders who felt as accountable for the culture and the people of the company as I did. And that's really something that's guided my whole journey in terms of where I've decided to work and organizations I've tried to be part of um, because the people team or the HR team, whatever you want to call it, Um, is a critical part of building and implementing people processes. But without leaders who really partner with us, um, it just does not reach its full potential. And so for me, um, I've been very, very fortunate to work alongside great leaders who really want to co-create with me the right experience for their employees. And so it's been um, very challenging And at the leadership level, you get a lot of strong personalities, a lot of strong opinions, Um, but working alongside smart people who deeply care about the individuals in their team is really what makes it fun. And so when you were seven years old, did you wake up and say, I want to work in HR? Or like, how did you get into this industry? Um, Yeah, no, I don't think many seven-year-olds do that. Maybe my (laughs) children did when they were seven. um, And then I think they decided to go in other directions. But no, for me, um, I started off in a program uh, at Cornell called Industrial and Labor Relations. And it was primarily known as a great pre-law program. And I thought, wow, you know, at the time, LA Law was a really big show. Susan Day had a beautiful BMW convertible and great clothes. And I thought, that's it. I want to be a lawyer, right? And so um, I enrolled in that program. And what I came to realize was the program offered a ton more. And that program really set me on the path um, that I'm on today. And so through that program, I actually did a bunch of HR internships 
um, with alumni of the program in HR. And it exposed me to something that I really um, didn't even know existed, frankly. And so um, for me, doing those internships was really critical to saying, in fact, law school is an interesting idea, but this is something that's very practical. It's here. It's now. And I'll try it for a while. And that was, you know, 20 plus years ago, and I haven't looked back. Wow. That it's so it's so interesting to hear how you got into the HR space because I've heard stories from so many different people. Some started in operations, some were general mm -hmm. managers, some came from finance, some really did go to college to be in a human resources role. Like where do people come from that get involved in human resources? Is it truly all over or do you see that changing now? And there's more of a focus on this as an industry that people aspire to be in when they start going to college? Um, it's a great question. And I would unscientifically say maybe 10 or 15% of the people who get into the field actually wake up, decide to major in the field, go through a college program for it, and then graduate and go into HR. But as you say, a lot of people move um, into the field from other disciplines. And I actually think that's great because it brings very different lived experiences, mindsets, and professional experiences to HR. Um, and I'll talk a little bit in a second about some of the sub-disciplines within HR because um, there are certainly backgrounds that affinitize to some of the sub-disciplines more than others. For example, not to overgeneralize, but a lot of folks who come out of the finance realm tend to gravitate toward total rewards because compensation and benefits is extremely analytically oriented. There's a lot of building financial models and doing financial analyses um, to really support a robust total rewards offering. So that's just one simple example. So going back to the root of your question, which is, hmm, where do people actually come from? Uh, I think there are people who have kind of the personality, the inclination, the interest in activating through their people strategy. I think there are other people who maybe do it as a rotation and fall in love with it. Um, certainly when I worked at GE, we saw a ton of people like that who um, kind of did it as part of their tour of duty and then said, wow, I'm so passionate about this field. I want to stay with it. Um, and then there are people who come to it, I think, later in life after discovering that their original discipline maybe was not as interesting or fulfilling uh, as, as they had hoped for it to be. Um, along the way, I've seen a lot of my colleagues do certifications like the SHRM certifications, obtain master's degrees, but honestly, um, all those things are great and I did eventually go on to get my master's degree, but there's really no substitute for lived experience. Yeah. Well, let's talk about some of your lived experiences. So I know you've got two beautiful daughters that are all growing up and, and moving out into their own worlds. Yet every day you go into the company that you're working for and advocate for every single employee, plus their families from a compensation of benefits and a culture perspective. How do you balance the two when something really crazy and frustrating happens at work or something really crazy and frustrating happens at home. And you've got to have like a perfect face when you go back to the other one and, and not, not bring that with you. Yep. Yep. No, it's a great question. And honestly, as I've kind of evolved in my career, I've learned that sometimes you don't bring the perfect face back to work. And so I'll tell you a little bit about that too. Um, you know, in my life, uh, 
I think as every human being does, you go through difficult experiences. And so um, I can distinctly remember several years ago, starting a brand new job, being three weeks into the job and getting a phone call that my mother was seriously ill and was in the hospital. And she was hospitalized for about a week. Uh, she was, you know, at that point about 88 years old and she did actually pass away. And so during that period of time, I had a very new relationship with my colleagues, with my boss, with my team. And I called them and I said, look, you know, I'm just going to be at the hospital until we know what's going to happen. She did unfortunately pass away. And I thought, well, you know, this is a great opportunity to, you know, be vulnerable and kind of share what I'm going through. I went back to work after about a week, week and a half or so. But I would say it was a few months before I was really myself again. And I will never forget uh, kind of the kindness, the support, um, the CEO of that company. And it was a pretty big Fortune 200 company personally writing me a sympathy card. And I thought that is a company that really has great values. This lady doesn't know me from a tree stump. Um, she had met me a couple of times. She was part of my hiring process, but she didn't know my life. She certainly didn't know my mother. And when people show up for you because you're a little bit vulnerable, I think it actually cements that bond. And so, um, you know, as I've gone through different challenges in my life, I certainly don't want it to dilute my ability to do my job. But sometimes you have to just acknowledge what's going on in your life and let people support you. And I think it builds actually more trust um, and a deeper sense that you are part of a team that you can really believe in. That's great. That's such a such a relatable story that I think everybody, you know, hopes to have happen in the workplace. And, you know, it's sad to hear about your mom passing away, but great to hear how your workplace like embraced that and, and just saw you as a person. And I think it speaks to the changing culture. I was talking to somebody yesterday about how, you know, it wasn't too long ago when people in the workplace could show no emotion. You know, your yeah. house could have been on fire in the morning, but you better be at work by your start date and it better not come through at all. Yeah. And today it's it's so different. I was telling somebody that, you know, a couple of years ago, I would never even tell somebody that I was married, let alone have children in the workplace because they might use that against me thinking, oh, well, she's distracted with her kids or, oh, you know, this is the situation. So uh, today, especially in June when we're recording this and it's Pride Month, everybody brings their full self and their authentic self to work. How has how have you seen the culture of just the workplace change over the years? And how do you think it's going to continue to evolve? I, um, well, I would say three things. So first and foremost, I agree with you. Um, when I started working, I think there was a lot of sort of thought that particularly um, senior female leaders needed to keep their personal lives very separate from their work lives. And I've seen now, and I think it's super, super healthy, and I'm glad on behalf of my girls, um, that people will talk openly about their kids, about their partners, about things that are important in their lives outside of the workplace. And, and I think it makes it a richer and frankly more fun experience for all of us. Um, and it allows us, if you work in the right place with the right culture, to actually connect with each other on a much more human level. And so um, I'm literally two weeks into a brand new job 
And the way that people have connected with me as I've been going around and kind of meeting individuals for the first time is, you know, we connect on a personal level to build a foundation for that professional level. And so I think it's super healthy, uh, definitely at the risk of stating something that I think 6,000 people have already said, the pandemic accelerated that. We've all been living in each other's houses. We've all seen each other's partners, pets, children, roommates, whatever the case may be, you know, in the background, we've become very aware and it's brought that other dimension of ourselves really into the workplace. Um, I happen to work now for a fully remote company. And so that experience is going to really continue, I think, for our employees. And so we talk really openly um, going through new hire orientation about how to maintain professionalism, but also acknowledging that, you know, sometimes the doorbell will ring, sometimes your dog will bark, and that's okay. Um, and then I think the last thing I will say is that there's a whole generation of um, new colleagues coming up in the world who don't know a different way, right? They don't think that they should ever hide their full identity. And I think actually we, as people who started in a very different culture, have a lot to learn from them. And I love it. And I'm really excited by it. That's awesome. So, well, I, you know, tell me when you figured out how to master the back-to-back -back meetings all day long in a fully remote environment and no opportunity to actually get water or the awkward time where you're trying to eat lunch and nobody else is eating and you want to turn the camera off. I think we've got a long way to go in trying to figure out how to master fully remote or fully remote workplaces. But I will tell you, um, a place where you and I both work together, one of my favorite work from home stories is a colleague of ours had just had a baby and his wife, you know, said, I, I need to take a nap. You're taking the baby. And he was like, I, ha I have to do a sales call. And she just, you know, tossed the brand new baby into his arms and kind of like walked out and he puts the baby on the call. And I will tell you, I have never seen a more successful sales call in my entire mm -hmm. life. And mm -hmm. I said to him afterwards, you need to bring that baby on every single call from now on, because everybody was just falling in love with the fact that there was a baby, he's a new dad, that, you know, he was a little disheveled and wasn't sure how to handle himself with the baby crying mm -hmm. and, and the baby mm -hmm. was really cute. So I do, I do think it adds this whole different dimension and perspective yeah. where it becomes more interesting and engaging. And you do get to look around people's homes, which sometimes, you know, we forget what's behind us because we're so used to it. But I've had the opportunity to see some pretty crazy things and as I'm sure you have too in those backgrounds. Yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I, I think that's true. And I think also um, it creates a way to connect with people. And so that story that you just shared, Jeannie, that was a point of connection. Um, I happen to have a pretty large dog. And for the last few days, she's decided that she wants to sit right next to me when I'm doing work calls. And so her head kind of periodically pops up into the view of my camera and it's just been a good opportunity for people to laugh a little, for people to say, oh, wow, your dog is really cute. What's her name? Oh, why does she have that name? And like we share the story. And um, it brings, I think, an opportunity to find connection points, frankly, more quickly than you would um, if you were working in an office setting and all those things were sort of out of sight and out of mind. 
I totally agree. I totally agree. I do miss though, in a fully remote environment, the opportunity to get together in person and collaborate. And I, I think that somehow companies will, will kind of figure out how to get the best of both worlds that are in there. But in your role, you're responsible for creating that culture for a business. So what is it when you come to work that you think about focusing on every day? Do you come and look at holistically, how can I make this the, the best place to work? Do you think about how do I make this the best experience for the employees or associates that we have? What is it that you think about when you come to work every day? Like, where's the coffee machine? Well, I'm obviously you're working from home, so you know where your coffee machine is. But what is it that you think about when you come to work every day? I, I, absolutely. Um, I think first and foremost, um, generally, if you listen to your colleagues, they'll give you the answers. And so to me, employee listening is at the heart of what um, people in my profession really need to do. And so whether it's surveys, whether it's doing skip level meetings, whether it's doing focus groups, whether it's looking at trend analysis from onboarding and offboarding of colleagues, generally the data will tell a story. And I think that's something that isn't explored a lot in the HR space, that there's a lot of data about our people if we'll only take the trouble to collect it and listen to it and look at it and then take action on it. And I think that's the number one challenge that companies have is to first find and identify the data, two, to pick out the few things that are really going to make a difference in a culture, and then three, to take action on them and embed that and sustain it within the organization. The good news is there's a lot of tools out there that can help with that. Uh, there's certainly a lot of platforms. The bad news is there are so many sometimes that the noise of picking, you know, what is the right approach or platform or tool can become very, very challenging. But if done correctly, it's super powerful because it brings the employee into the conversation and says, this is actually what we heard you asking for. This is what we heard your priorities are. And it becomes less about what I think people need and more about what they've told me and the rest of my leadership peers would really make a difference to them in their work experience. So you talk a lot about the employee experience and I'm giving you the answers. Do you feel that the number one most important thing that you can do then is the employee survey annually? You could say no, so, I'm just guessing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different modalities, Jeannie, right? There's a lot of different ways to go after this. And what I would say is figure out what makes sense for your organization in terms of frequency in terms of the way you're going to collect that data. Um, those things may vary by company. Um, I've worked for companies that do annual surveys, twice a year surveys, quarterly pulse surveys, monthly pulse surveys. I mean, every organization finds what makes sense for them. And depending on the composition, kind of the turnover rate of your workforce, how rapidly your organization is evolving, different things can make sense at different points in time. It's that action piece of it. It's really leaning into it with intention and sincerity and saying, we are going to do something about this. All the surveys in the world don't really help you if you stick them in a drawer, metaphorically speaking, and don't activate on them. And I think the other um, challenge that a lot of companies have is, wow, there are like 10 things that our employees are crying out about. How do I pick the one or two and really address them in a meaningful way and then move on. If you try to do 10 things, um, 
you know, you'll do many things and none well. Um, and so my philosophy is always, how do you pick a couple of things, really embed change in the organization around those issues, and then move on to the next couple things on the list and acknowledge that I think as a leader, you don't have a magic wand that solves everything tomorrow, but that there is sincerity and purpose around why the survey is done and what you're going to do with it. And being transparent and, you know, when you can, engaging colleagues in solutioning is super, super powerful. So if you have a result that says, gee, you know, we don't like our culture. Okay, what does that mean? What does culture mean to you? Talk to me more about what a different culture experience would look like. Okay, it sounds like more communication. Now I actually can drill into how do you like to receive that communication? What do you need to hear in communication? And we're getting to something that's actually practical and actionable. So it's kind of a take on three whys. I love it. I love it. Sincere, passionate, culturally focused. I mean, you just wrap your arms around everything and embrace each opportunity to make your work life a better place. So I have to ask, have you seen the show Severance on Apple TV? Did you watch that series yet? I have not. <laughs> I okay. have not. I think you might be like the 10th person who's asked me about that. So it is in my to watch queue, but I have not gotten there yet. It's super freaky, but it is, I, I'm so curious. You have to watch it, but you have to tell me what okay. you think. You know, the concept is really simple. You get surgery so that when you get on the elevator to go down to your work life, everything about your personal life disappears. You have no memory of it. So you can only focus on your work. So you have a work persona, you have a work personality, you have work friends. And at the end of the day, when you get on the elevator and go back up, your work life disappears. So you're not bombarded or stressed with, oh, I have to get to up early tomorrow, I have to get this done. Your work day ends and you can be 100% present with your family. It's the creepiest show that I think I've ever seen. However, I cannot wait for season two. I can't tell you why you have to go watch it, but every time I watch it, I'm like, oh my God, I wonder if Irene watched this because I'm so curious to hear what an HR executive actually thinks about the whole work-life split piece of it where it's hardcore split. Um, it's a great premise. So so we'll end on that. You need to watch it, but thank you, oh Irene, God. for coming and sharing, sharing your parts about your personal life with us, parts about your journey, and parts about what you do every day professionally. I think this has been a great conversation. Well, thank you, Jeannie, for having me on the show. And it was great catching up with you as always. Mm -hmm.